Good morning. Good to see you today. Everybody doing okay? All right, let me try that again. Everybody doing okay? All right, that's better. I like it when you talk to me. Talk back to me uh, in a respectful way, but talk back to me, okay? All right. (laughs) Good to see you this morning. I want to, uh, first of all, before we get into the message this morning, to thank those that that went to the park this past Saturday and for those that gave uh, for the Mosaic Pregnancy Center fundraising that they were doing. Uh, Over $800 was raised uh, from our group uh, to four mosaic. And I think that's pretty awesome. So just give the Lord a hand for that. Appreciate everyone that participated in that and uh, that was able to go there and, and walk. And for those that gave, thank you very much. Uh, it's a very worthwhile organization to, uh, to invest in. And so thank you for giving uh, for them. Also, uh, for the guys that went to the men's retreat this weekend, we had a blast and just had a good time together. Um, I don't know about you, but I felt like it was just too short. We needed a little more time. So maybe next year uh, we can get involved on the Thursday uh, part of the event and go Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. But it was just a good time to get together and, and fellowship together and, and just kind of do some guy stuff. And we enjoyed that. And uh, God is really working down at Camp Hope. And um, I'm excited to see uh, the chapel that we have given. Our church gave $3,000 uh, for the building of the chapel uh, down at Camp Hope. And uh, it's coming along great. Uh, the, um, the roof is on, the siding and everything is on. They're going to finish it all up and get it completely closed in and ready for winter uh, this week. And then they'll be starting on the inside for the finishing part of, of the building. So it's coming along great. It's bigger than what I thought it was going to be. Uh, it's really a very, very nice chapel uh, just for all of our kids down in Camp Hope. So I just want to say this. For all the parents, I want to encourage you to, uh, as soon as we get the, uh, the schedule for next summer, uh, you need to put that in your planner and put that in, uh, on your calendar so that you can plan your vacations around the week that your child goes to Camp Hope. And uh, it's certainly a great, a great ministry uh, for your kids. And so I want to encourage our parents to, um, uh, to be sure you, you kind of push your kids down there uh, for a week of camp, and they'll certainly be blessed as a, as a result of that, okay? If you have your Bibles this morning, I'm going to ask you to open them to the book of Acts, Acts chapter number one. Today we're talking about our, or we are introducing our, our D6 theme, and it's what we've been studying together through all of our classes uh, this morning. The theme that we'll be studying all week long is on the everlasting God. Uh, and he is an everlasting God. A lot of the song, the music, music this morning was geared uh, towards the theme. Uh, we started off with the song, Everlasting God. We round, wound up singing that old, um, uh, that old great hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus, and how we need to take everything to the Lord uh, in prayer. And, and uh, that's intentional with kind of the, the thought process of what we're doing. But aren't you glad that, that we have a God that knows everything about our life? He knows he knows exactly where we are. He knows when we're hurting. He knows when we're on the mountaintop. Uh, he's, an, he, he's from everlasting to everlasting. He's God. He created everything. He owns everything. And that's the God that, that we worship and the God that we serve. So all this week, we're going to be studying about the everlasting God. Our goal this week is to find comfort in the nature of our God, who is, of course, without equal. And, uh, and I'm not really going to be unpacking all of the the goal and, and everything there is to know about an everlasting God. No way I could even, almost, even think about covering that in one message. 
But I want to I want to kind of hone in on one particular area. This week, some of our fusion facts. And by the way, does everyone have curriculum? If you do not have curriculum, we've got it on the table out there for you. Uh, it's free for you, and be sure you get that. We're, that's how we're studying together through the week. Uh, but all week long, we're studying these fusion facts. And Monday, we're going to be looking in Psalm 44, and we're going to be seeing that the everlasting God never grows tired and never gets weak. Aren't, aren't you glad of that? I don't know about you, but there's times when me myself just walking in my Christian faith and walk that I grow weary, that I get tired. And I'm thinking, man, I don't know if I can go another day. I don't know if I can handle this one more time. I don't know if I can handle one more battle or go through one more struggle or, or, or the pressures of, of the world. Anybody ever been there? But aren't you glad that, that our God never grows weary? He, he's never tired. And we're going to be studying that together in our curriculum this week. We're also going to see that the obedience submit to God's cleansing even when it hurts. We're also going to see that the everlasting God is unequal in his guidance. The everlasting God's unequal in his power. The fifth one is what I want to focus on. The everlasting God is unequal in his care for his people. And that's where I want to dwell a little bit there and start looking at some of, of how God cares for his people. And I just want to I want to introduce you to, and you probably already don't really need the introduction, but in the book of Acts chapter number one, I want to look at Acts chapter one. We're going to get to Acts chapter four, but I want to do a little bit of an overview of what's taking place here in the book of Acts. Now in the book of Acts, this is really where the, the person of the Holy Spirit the, the tr- part of the Trinity, the Godhead, is working in the hearts and the lives of his people, and it's really the birth of the church. If you remember, you remember back in Matthew when Jesus looked at Peter and he said, upon this rock I will build my church. And some people think, when did the New Testament church begin? Well, it did not be- begin when Jesus made the proclamation that he would build his church upon that rock, and uh, the church began in the book of Acts with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the promise of His coming. In Acts chapter number 1, you can see where the promise is given. Look, look if you will, in verse number 4. It says, while He was together with them, He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Here's where they are waiting for the promise of the Father. They're waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit that is to come. And then we fast forward and we go over to the book of Acts, chapter number 2, and there we'll see the day of Pentecost. And this is when the promise was fulfilled, when the Holy Spirit came and He indwelt the believers and the church was birthed, if you will, in Acts chapter number 2, when the promise was fulfilled through the coming of the Holy Spirit into the hearts and the lives of those that were there. And then we get to Acts chapter number 3. In Acts chapter number 3, Peter and John, if you remember, they're going to the temple. They're going to worship. They're out in Solomon's colonnade or Solomon's court. And there in the colonnade, they see uh, a man about 40 years old that is crippled, that's lame, and has been from birth. And he's asking for for alms. He's, He's begging for money. And he's pleading for someone to give him some money. You remember the statement. I'm not going to unpack it all. But Peter and John, silver and gold have a... None but such as I have, in the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And and there was a great miracle that took place, and this man rose up and began to walk. So we see that taking place in Acts chapter number 3 with the healing of this this lame man. And then, of course, the crowds all gather around, and and Peter starts to preach, and and, uh, thousands were saved. And then we get to Acts chapter number 4. Stay with me, I'm going somewhere. We get to Acts chapter number 4. And what's taking place here in Acts chapter number 4? Look, if you will, in verse 1. 
Now, as they were speaking to the people, the priest, the commander of the temple guard, and the Sadducees confronted them because they were provoked that they were teaching the people and proclaiming the person of Jesus, the resurrection from the dead. Verse number three, get this. So they seized them and put them in custody until the next day, since it was already evening. But many of those who heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. I want you to see something here. This is the birth of the church. God told his men to tarry, wait, until the promise comes in Acts chapter 1. The promise comes in Acts chapter 2, the person of the Holy Spirit is given upon believers and he makes up his abode and his residence, his residence in the heart of every believer in the church's birth. In Acts chapter number 3, they're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit and there's a healing that takes place of this 40-year-old man that had been crippled since birth. In Acts chapter number 4, we see some trouble came. Do you see what's taking place in Acts chapter 1, 2, and 3? The believers there are waiting on the promise of God. God fulfills his promise. The church is birthed. The Holy Spirit comes. They're preaching. 3,000 were saved, first of all. I mean, what great excitement was taking place in the life of the believers at this moment? Right? But then we get to Acts chapter number 4, and I don't know about you, but I've been reading and studying through the book of Acts this week, and, and I realize... Even when we are obedient to God, storms come in our life. Even when we are living out our faith and striving our very best to live for God, reading His Word, praying, serving Him, trying to do everything that we can for Him, not because we want to be saved, but because we are saved, we're wanting to serve Him. And in the midst of our obedience, last week we talked about obedience. In the midst of our obedience, storms occasionally come up. You see, the early church, they experienced great joys. They experienced wonderful victories. But at the same time, they had many troubles. I've often heard people describe that Life is like mountains and valleys. There's high points and there's low points. And you can be on a high point, and then before you know it, you're deep in a valley. And I guess I understand the analogy, but I almost think it's a better statement to say life is like a railroad track. I mean, you have the victories, you have the joys, and simultaneously run alongside that, you have the troubles and the heartache and the sorrow. Now, every single one of us that are sitting here today, we can choose to be happy about something. Right? And every single one of us sitting here today, we can choose to be sad and overwhelmed and troubled about something. There's something you got to remember. Behind every face, there's a heartache. I mean, there's not one person sitting in here that hasn't been through a storm. And I don't know what your last week has been. I don't know what today has been. But maybe last week you had a difficult week. Maybe today's been a difficult day. Maybe this week you know is going to be a very trying week. The point I'm trying to make is this, that simultaneously as we live our Christian life, there can be great joy, and at the same time, there can be great heartache and sorrow and trouble. And the point that I want to make is that we serve an everlasting God who cares for us, 
when we're going through the heartache and the trouble. In my own personal life, this past week or so, I've been thinking about some of this. And if I dwell on the negative, I can get down and out and I can get discouraged. But if I start thinking about the positives, I can be encouraged. And, and that's why I say it's like a railroad track. The positives and the negatives, they run simultaneously in our life. So we got a choice. Are we going to choose to live in the negative or choose to live in the positive? Well, I want to choose the positive because I know there's a God in heaven that's going to take care of all that stuff in my life. Because he cares for me. He's an everlasting God. He sees things from eternity past to eternity future. There never has been a time when God was not. There never will be a time when he will not be. He is in control. He is sovereign. He's in control of everything. The past week or so, I'm sure you've seen the news and and with the, the astronauts and they all went up to the space center and they did some work on the Hubble telescope. Did you see that? Did you see the before and after pictures? The pictures we've been living with with the Hubble telescope and there were some repairs they made on it and they took new pictures and it's like night and day. I mean, it's almost like black and white TV to now high def. The difference of the, of the telescope. The, the images, the, the stars and the, the vivid, bright colors. How many have seen that on TV? Boy, you need to Google it. Go home and Google it. You, you'll find it. I want you to look at the new images that the Hubble telescope is now giving us. And I want you, you know when I saw that? I was watching Fox News the other morning as I was getting ready and they had a scientist on there and he was explaining all these new pictures and and all the the detailed scientific elements of, of everything in the galaxies and the Hubble telescope and he was explaining exactly what took place. You know what I saw in that? I just stepped back and I thought, that's God. You see, that's That's God. He's in control of everything. This past week, I'm going to share a little story. If I get your permission to share it, just shake your head, yeah. Yeah, just say yeah. (laughs) We were driving in the car this week, and I started thinking about some of the pressures, some of the trials, some of the just different stuff we find ourselves in as we live life. And I'm thinking, you know what? While I'm enduring that, at the same time, I've got a family who loves me. And no matter what happens, I've got a family who loves me and I've got a God who loves me. And so I just reached over and grabbed my wife around the neck and I pulled her over there to me and I gave her a kiss And I said, I love you. The point I'm making is this, guys. We all have trials. We all have heartaches. We all have troubles. But we can choose to look at the blessings that God has given us. And we can choose to just give all that stuff to Jesus and let him work it all out. And we can choose to allow him to minister to us when we're going through our troubles and our trials. The book of Acts. Great experiences, great joys, great victories, and immediately trouble arises in chapter number four. So today my prayer is that this message will bring you comfort, that this message will bring you encouragement. And the comfort won't come from me, it'll come from God's Word. We serve an everlasting God, and He wants to comfort you. 
You may be here this morning, you may be going through troubles. You may have heartaches. You may have financial problems. You may have spiritual problems. You may have relational problems. You may, I don't know what they are, but I'm here to tell you that there's a God in heaven that cares about you. There's an everlasting God, and he's there to comfort you, and he does not want you to go through that alone. I'm reminded about what the Apostle Paul said. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I I don't have it on the screen for you, so you'll have to look in in your Bible, but and I'm just going to hit this real quickly. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, I want you to understand as we read this that times of trouble are for everyone. There's not one person under the sound of my voice in this auditorium that will hear this message on the podcast, literally around the world. I get emails from around the world, people listen to this, that just blows me away. But there's not one person that will ever listen to this or hear me this morning that will not have some trouble in life. You're going to have it. And the Apostle Paul is a great example of that. Look, if you will, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. The Apostle Paul is saying, are they servants of Christ? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one. With far more labors and many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, near death many times. Verse 24, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the depths of the sea. On frequent journeys, I have faced dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my own people and dangers from the Gentiles and dangers in the city and dangers in the open country and dangers in the sea and dangers among false brethren. Labor and hardship, many sleepless nights. I've been hungry and thirsty and often without food and cold and lacking clothing. Not to mention the other things, there is the daily pressure on me, my care for all the churches. The point I'm making is this. Even the Apostle Paul had hardship. Even the Apostle Paul had difficulties. Even the Apostle Paul had times of trouble. What am I trying to say as a result of all this? I'm trying to say this. Life is hard. Amen? Life is hard. There's hardships that come. There's trouble that comes. There's hard times that come our way. And just let me say this. Just because you're a believer, just because you're a Christ follower, just because you're a Christian, that doesn't exempt you from difficult times. Some people think, boy, if I just give my life to Christ, everything would be wonderful and everything would be great. There's no promise of that anywhere in God's Word. Matter of fact, there's just the contrary to that. So don't live your Christian life thinking that just because you're a Christian that everything is going to be a a bed of roses for you and there's not going to be any heartache. There is going to be heartache. There is going to be trouble. But I'm here to tell you this morning, we serve an everlasting God that cares for us and wants to comfort us. Turn once again in your Bibles to John chapter number 16. I want you to, I'm I'm just trying to lay the foundation for what I want to share with you. John chapter number 16. I want you to look at verse number 30. Actually, yeah, verse number 33. John, I'm thinking, why does that not look right? I'm in Luke. John chapter number 16. I want you to look at verse number 20. Look what Jesus is saying. John 16 verse 20. I assure you, that's the words of Jesus. I assure you, I promise you, 
I assure you, you will weep. You will wail. But the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful. But your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, he gives an illustration of the point now. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she has given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. Verse 22, so you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice and no one will rob you of my joy. In that day, you will ask me, you will not ask me anything. Now, the interpretation here, he's talking about, and he's trying to prepare himself, the disciples, for his departure. I'm going to be crucified. You're going to have great sorrow as a result of that. But the application is, in our life, we're going to have sorrow. Right? Look what he says in verse number 33. Let's start in verse 32, John 16. Look, an hour is coming and has come when each of you will be scattered to his own home and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. Now understand what he's saying. Once again, within the interpretation, the context of the Scripture, he's talking about when he was going to be offered up for the crucifixion, when he was going to be betrayed, when they were going to take and they were going to beat him and scour, scour him, and, and the crucifixion was going to take place, and they were going to scatter. But I like what he says, I'm not alone, the Father's with me. You can draw encouragement from that. Look at verse 33. I have told you these things, that in me you may have peace. You will have peace suffering in this world, but be courageous, for I have overcome the world. The point I want you to see is that even Jesus said, you're going to have hardships, you're going to have trouble, you're going to have suffering, you're going to weep, you're going to cry out, you're going to hurt, you're going to experience pain. Am I talking to anybody? Am I the only one that's ever experienced any of that? How many know what I'm talking about? You've experienced heartache. You've experienced pain. You've experienced sorrow. You've experienced the pressure. I'm here to tell you today, every single one of us, Jesus has said, you're going to feel that. You're going to suffer that. It's going to hurt. It's going to be painful. But I am an everlasting God that you can draw comfort from. And I will be there to comfort you. That's what we're going to be unpacking. That's what we're going to be studying all week long. I'm just trying to lay the foundation for the five points that I want to share with you. And time's not going to permit me to go over to Mark's gospel, chapter number four. You remember the story there when Jesus told the disciples, get in the ship and go to the other side. Get in this ship and we're going to the other side. And while they were in the ship being obedient to Jesus, Jesus crawls up on a pillow and he takes a nap. And they depart in the ship, and they're being obedient, doing just what he said, going to the other side. And while they're on the journey, you know the story, what comes up? A storm. And they're afraid they're going to die. They said, somebody go wake up Jesus. And they go and wake up Jesus. And he says, I don't know why you guys are so upset. And he just speaks. And he says, peace, be still. And the winds and the waves, they all obey, and there's a great calm, and they go on over to the other side. And then he looks at them and says, and they, they think, they marvel. What man is this that even the, the wind and the sea, they obey his voice? And he says, why do you have such little faith? Guys, I'm here to tell you today that God is able to speak peace to the storm that's in your life. But you've just got to call out to him. You've got to bring it to him. 
You've got to seek the everlasting God for the comfort that he wants to give you and the comfort that he wants to give me. Let me share with you this morning, real quickly, jot these down. I didn't get sermon notes in for, your, for the back of your uh, bulletin, but take out there. It's a place for you to make some, uh, take some notes. There's a few lines for you to write on. I want you to get these. Jot these down. Five things. And I want to talk about finding comfort in the times of trouble. What are five things that we can do? Number one, we must learn to trust God. As we are going through the hardships and the struggles of life, we must learn to simply trust God. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8, down through verse number 10, listen to what the Apostle Paul says. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in the province of Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of, or even despaired of life. However, verse 9, we personally had a death sentence within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. And then he says in verse number 10, we've placed our hope in him. Guys, the point I want you to see in this is that Paul is saying, hey, we had trouble. But what we did, we died out to self so that we would not place trust and hope and confidence in ourselves. We place that in God. And I'm here to tell you today, I know you're going through heartaches and troubles. All of us are. At any given moment, any given week, we all experience difficulty. And I just want to encourage you to trust God. Don't trust in yourself. Don't trust in your circumstances or don't trust in your knowledge or your your education. Trust in God. Paul is saying we died to ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves. Don't try to carry it alone. Don't try to work your way through it by yourself. Trust God. Hello? Paul said we died to ourselves so that we would not trust ourselves so that we would put our hope in him. So as you're going through difficulty and you're going through the storms of life and you're going through the pain and and the trials and the suffering, you're weeping and wailing, the burden gets extremely heavy, I want to encourage you to trust God. Number two, jot this one down. As you're going through storms, I want you to realize that as God comforts us, we are to comfort others. We must realize that God comforts us so that we can comfort others. Listen to this passage of Scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And many of this is going to be in 2 Corinthians 1. In verse 3 through 4, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. What is that saying? You know what that's saying? that your greatest heartache and your greatest trial in life can turn out to be your greatest ministry. What God is saying there through the Apostle Paul, he's saying, listen, we've experienced this particular pain, but we've also experienced the comfort of God. And so now I want to share with you that are going through this particular issue in your life how there is a God that can comfort you. So whenever God is comforting you, he wants you in turn to look around and share that experience with someone else so you can help them get comfort from the Lord. You know, I think about my my wife, and I think about how when we got married, and just a few years after we said, I do, she had cancer. And I'm thinking, God, why? 
And she had to go down and spend an entire summer down at Duke University in Durham, North Carolina and, and undergo all types of treatments for radiation and cancer, lymphoma cancer that she had in the eye. And they, they made a lead contact lens. And many of you already know the story. But I'm sitting back questioning, God, why? But you know what God has done through that? God has put us in a position, and primarily my wife in a position, that she can turn around and minister to families that sit in the doctor's office. Listen, I heard the C word from the doctor, you've got cancer. And then I heard all the negative statements that they shared with us. Everything we do, they said, is going to be trial and error. There's no guarantees of anything. We've never given radiation of this magnitude and this much power directly into the eye. You may lose your sight. I don't know what happened as a result of all. I mean, we sat there and heard all of that. Listen, that rocked our world. But thank God, God worked through all of that and, and he got glory as a result of all of that. But here's what's happened as a result. Now, these many years later, pastor in a church, whenever someone that we come in contact with has been diagnosed with some type of cancer, you know the first person I want to get there is my wife. And you know what Debbie does? She gets there with them and she says, listen, I know exactly how you feel. You see, I can't say that to a cancer patient. I've never had cancer. So I don't know exactly how they feel. I can minister to the spouse. I know how you feel as a spouse. And our greatest pains and our greatest sufferings, as we allow God to comfort us and bring us through those difficult moments in life, then we can turn around and that greatest pain that we have can somewhat be our greatest ministry to other people. But we got to have the proper perspective. And that's what Paul is telling us here. We've got to realize that as God comforts us, he comforts us so that we can comfort other people and we can share with them, listen, there is an everlasting God. There is a God in heaven who cares about you and who can bring comfort to you. The third thing I want you to jot down is this. As we're going through the storms, as we're feeling the pressure, as we go through the hard times of life, when God rescues us in answer to our prayers... I want you to see that many people will glorify him. Many people will glorify God. We find that once again in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10 through 11. And that's where Paul is writing about all these hardships and these sufferings and what's taking place. And he says, he's delivered us from such a terrible death. He will deliver us. And we have placed our hope in him that he will deliver us again. And you can join in helping with prayer for us so that thanks may be given by many on our behalf for the gift that came through us through the prayers of many. You know what Paul is saying? He's saying that as we collectively pray together for this storm that I'm going through, as we collectively pray together for this hardship, this suffering, this trial, whatever it may be that we're going through, as we're collectively praying together, you know what's going to happen as an end result? Collectively together, we're all going to give glory to God for how he comforts us and how he moves in our hearts and in our lives. And that's what he's wanting us to see there. So I want you to, you know, all the trials that you go through and the hardships that you go through and the suffering that you go through and you take that to God in prayer and God answers that prayer, don't stop right there and go on. Stop and give thanks. And share with other people how God has answered your prayer and how God has worked in your life. Don't try to suppress that thing and put it in your past and never remember it again. Listen, the heartaches that you experience are for a reason. 
God wants to use you and that experience to minister to someone else so that in the end, people can be ministered to and he can be glorified. Many people will glorify God as a result. Number four, jot this one down. When we get knocked down, I like this one, we must get up again and keep going. And we find that once again in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 89. When we get knocked down, we must get up and keep going. For we don't want you to be unaware, brothers, of our affliction that took place in the province of Asia. We were completely overwhelmed. Paul says we were knocked down. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that even we even despaired of life. However, however, that's the key transitional phrase there. Paul says, listen, we were overwhelmed. We were knocked down. However, we drew our strength from God. We placed our hope in Him. Listen, guys, you're going to get knocked down. There's going to be some things that's coming into your life that's going to just knock you for a loop. They're going to knock you down. They're going to, they're going to overwhelm you. The bird's going to be so heavy you cannot carry it along. But as you're getting other people to pray for, pray for that and you're seeking God, an everlasting God, to care for you and meet your needs in whatever ways He's going to do that, then you're starting to get back up and keep marching on. You see, I think about when we found out that Debbie had cancer and we came back home. You know what took place? Life continued. It didn't stop for everybody else around us. And it didn't even stop for us. I mean, the next morning came. And we had a decision we were going to make. Are we just going to stay down? Or are we going to get up and trust in God to take care of this thing? No matter what happens, we're placing our hope in Him. We're looking to Him, the everlasting God, to comfort us and lead us and direct us. Are we going to keep on? And you know what? We just decided we're going to keep on. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. Listen, we were completely overwhelmed. However... We transferred that confidence that we would have placed in ourselves. We died to ourselves, crucified ourselves. We placed that confidence in Christ Jesus and we marched on. Guys, that's what you got to do. Storms are coming. If you haven't been in one in a while, it's probably right around the corner. It may be this week. Hello? I'm not trying to discourage you, I'm trying to encourage you. I'm trying to get you ready. You're going to face them. I don't know what type of hardship you're going to go through, but I promise you, honey, it's coming. Hello? And I don't want you to get knocked down and stay down. I want you to transfer all of that weight to the Lord and put your hope in Him. Number five, last one. I want you to get this one. And I like this one. We must realize that the storm will not last forever. The storm will not last forever. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18, Paul is writing. He says, therefore, we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary lot affliction, get that, our momentary lot affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory so that we do not focus on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. You know what Paul is saying in that passage of Scripture? He's saying it's not going to last forever. 
the things that are seen, the storms that we're going through, the trials that we face, they're not going to last forever. And boy, that's the good news of every storm. Hello? I mean, I like the old, the old saying in the King James Version of the Bible, and it's a biblical saying, it says, this too shall pass. Hello? You see, a lot of times we make a mountain out of a molehill and we think, oh, this is the crisis that's going to... No, 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 no. We all have trouble. Realize they're coming. We all have pressures. We all have sufferings. We all have heartaches. It's a storm. Transfer the trust over to God and realize that this too shall pass. Thank God storms don't last forever. Hello? They don't last forever. Now I want you to go back to Acts chapter 4. I've went all the way around my elbow to get to my thumb, okay? And I'm almost back to it. So here we are. Acts chapter 4. Let's go back and pick up the rest of the story that's taking place in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, the promise. Acts chapter 2, the promise came. Pentecost took place, the birth of the church, the Holy Spirit's being given. Acts chapter 3, great victory. 3,000 were saved prior to that. A man's healed that's been crippled since birth. 5,000 are saved as a result of Peter preaching. So get this, 8,000 people have already been born again, accepted Christ as their Savior in the early days of this church. A man that's been crippled since birth is now rejoicing and walking throughout the temple, praising the Lord. Good things are happening. The religious leaders of the day did not enjoy that. They did not appreciate that, nor did they like that. So they grabbed these men in Acts chapter 4. They rebuked them, and they put them in prison overnight. That's the trouble. That's the heartache. But I want you to look as we go a little further. Let's come on down to, um, let's just kind of skim through the chapter. In verse number 13, it says, When they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and knew that they had been with Jesus. Guys do do your coworkers, do your family members, do your friends, do they know you've been with Jesus? I mean, it was evident in these guys' life that they had been with Jesus. And so they're asking themselves, what are we going to do with these men? And we get on down into verse number 17. They say, well, let's just threaten them against, speak, against speaking to anyone in this name. So they called them in verse 18 and ordered them not to preach or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Now, I'm sure that's going to stop them, you know. I'm just going to tell you, this is what we're going to do. Don't preach anymore. Don't say anything else. Now, you know as well as I do, it's going to take more than that to stop these guys. Verse 19, but Peter and John answered, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to God, you decide. <laughs> I like that. For we are unable to stop speaking what we have seen and heard. You see, hey, they said, we've experienced this. And we cannot stop. We cannot help but share what we have seen and what we've heard. And so verse 21, after threatening them further, they release them. Now understand what's taking place. We're back in Acts chapter 4. They've gotten arrested for preaching the gospel, for this man being healed. They didn't like the crowds being saved. 8,000 now has been saved in this early church. They take them, they put them in prison for the night. They get the, the Sadducees and religious leaders get together over here and say, what are we going to do to these guys? Well, let's just threaten them. So they go back the next day. They say, listen, boys, don't preach anymore. We'll let you go. They said, I don't care what you do. All we can do is proclaim what we've seen and heard. We're going to keep preaching. So they threaten them again and they send them away. But here's what I want you to see. Where'd they go? 
where did Peter and John, where did these men go? Look, if you will, in verse 23. After they were released, they went to their own fellowship. And they reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices to God unanimously and said, Master, you are the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You said through the Holy Spirit by the mouth of our father David, your servant. And they go on and they start proclaiming what God has said. But I want you to know, I don't want you to miss what took place. This storm came in Peter's life. They were thrown in prison. They were threatened. They were released the next day. While the storm is still raging and the effects of it in their heart and in their life, I want to ask you a question. Where did they go? Where'd they go? To their fellowship. Where'd they go? To church. They went to their other Christian brother and sisters in Christ Jesus. They went to their church assembly. And they went there. As soon as they got out of prison, as soon as they were had chance to get to their church family, they went there and then what they do? They shared with the church the storm that they were in. That's what they did. They went to church and they shared with the church the storm that they were in. Third question, what did church do? Prayed. Unanimously and one heart, one mind, one spirit, they prayed and they asked for boldness for these men. Listen, they didn't pray the storm would go away. Understand that. They didn't pray, oh God, send these evil men away so that we can care. No, they said, help these men to be bold so that they can endure the storm. Now guys, here's the whole point of my message today. And I guess everything I've shared with you, I've tried to get it down to this point. In Galatians chapter 6 and verse number 2, listen to what the scripture says. Carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Carry one another's burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Here's the application for the whole message. I want you to get this. When you go through storms, that's when it's time to call on your friends and pray one for another. That's it. You're going to go through storms. You're going to have heartaches. You're going to have trials. You're going to have sufferings. I don't want you to go through those by yourself. You know what I want you to do? I want you to call on your church family. If you're in a D6 class, that's where you ought to start. You ought to get to that class, and you ought to get there as quick as you can, and you ought to share with them what's going on in your life, and then collectively together, they can pray. And you know what you're doing? You're fulfilling the law of Christ. Why? Galatians 6, 2, carry one another's burdens. Listen, God hadn't called us to be lone rangers in this spiritual battle that we're in. He's called us to come together. He's an everlasting God from eternity past to eternity future. He's sovereign. He's in control of all things. He's given us a a venue, if you will, a method that we're to use. It's called prayer. We're to come together, collectively pray together and ask God to help us through all of this and then go on. 
Guys, you wonder why church is so important? I'll be honest with you. I don't see how people make it through life without being connected to a church family. That is a lonely, hard, cold world out there. And they'd assume stomp on you and tread on you and stick a knife in your back to advance their cause. They don't care about you. That's called the world. Hello? How many has ever had some of the effects of the world? On, yeah, we've all felt that. And unfortunately, we may have even felt that in the church, but God help us. We need to be a family of believers. Is that rain out here? That means I can preach another 10 minutes. I know you don't want to walk out that door right now. <laughs> I'm kidding you. I'm winding down. Listen, guys. I just want to make a point this morning, and it's this. There's an everlasting God that loves you, and He cares for you, and He wants to comfort you. Don't go through the storms by yourself. Don't go through the hardships of life by yourself. Get connected in this church. You see, I wish, oh boy, I wish I could carry a, a Holy Ghost-filled hammer and just hit people over the top of the head and get them in line with God and get them connected where they need to be. I can't do that. All I can do is encourage you. Get connected. Get connected. And if you're having a hard time getting connected, you shoot us an email in the office. We'll help you. We'll assist you. We'll put you with the right people to get you connected. I think our church is open enough to where people can get connected. You need a church family. Number one, you need Jesus. And then number two, you need a church family. Because you're going to go through some hardships. And you're going to go through some suffering. And there's going to be some storms. These men were thrown into jail. As soon as they were released, they went straight to the fellowship. They shared what took place, and they unanimously, in one heart, one mind, one soul, one spirit, prayed to God to give these men the strength to endure this storm. That's what we need, guys. I wonder as every head is bowed and every eye is closed, and I'm going to ask our deacons, if they will, to go to, just go to the back of the, the auditorium. And You see, I don't know what you're facing today. I don't know what battle you're going through. I don't know what storm you may be in right now. But I do know we all face them. And I just want to share with you this. Number one, there's a God in heaven that loves you. There's an everlasting God that wants to comfort you. And if you're here this morning and you just need somebody to pray with you, you just need to share with someone what your storm is. So that they can pray with you. I want you to know that we've got some men and women in the back that love you. And that want to help you. And that want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. Don't leave here today and go through this storm by yourself. Share with someone today what you're facing. Share with someone today what you're going through. Don't, don't carry this load by yourself. Galatians 6.2, we are commanded as believers and Christians that we're to carry each other's burdens.